We do have an announcement sheet out on the foyer out there for church announcements, and you can also find it on our webpage, which is breencalvarychapel.org. Um, so if you're interested, and there also there's a calendar on our webpage as, uh, as well, so you can see all the events that are upcoming and, and stuff like that. And of course, uh, in the time and, and, and day we're living in, everything is, of course, subject to change, right? Um, but we're, we're, we're doing the best we can. Just so you guys know, uh, and it all comes from, from my dad, so if there's something wrong with any of this, it's his fault, okay? I just, I just work here, okay? Um, and uh, I do whatever my daddy says. So. <laughs> um, the, way, the way our whole philosophy about, about COVID and everything that's going on is we want to be responsible, okay? We want to be responsible. We refuse to be fearful, okay? And with that being said, um, we are absolutely beholden to our government and to the leaders in our government to be obedient to them as the scripture lays out for the Christian, right? That is what we are called to be. We are called to be a light and we are called to be a testimony. Our job is not to be rebels. However, Jesus Christ is our king and God is God and we're going to obey the scriptures always above men, okay? And the Bible tells us that we ought not to take the gathering of ourselves together, and all the more as we see that day approaching. My dad has preached that about, I don't know, 65 trillion times, right? He's told us that. Ad nauseum, right? And it's true. It's absolutely true. So to the best of our ability, and also using our common sense, and trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, we're going to do live services as often as we can. If something comes up where we feel like we need to take a week off, uh, and, and we need to, to, to do that for, for, for health reasons, for the safety of everyone. We're going to do that, just so you guys know. Uh, but we're, we're going to try to meet together as, as often as we can because we believe it's important. Everything that's happening in the world today, okay, it's hard sometimes to see the forest for the trees. You understand what I'm saying? And you can get so fixated and focused on the trees. Have you ever seen Return of the Jedi? Has anyone... You've seen Return of the Jedi? I, it's my favorite Star Wars movies. The new ones stink, okay? If you like the new ones, I'm sorry. I don't like any of them. They're okay. But the old ones, the good ones, Return of the Jedi. Remember the moon of Endor? Remember? I mean, what's right? right? The moon, it's great. The Ewoks, the Wat, all that. Remember when the stormtroopers, the cool stormtroopers that had the different kind of helmets that flew those speeders? What, remember what happens when they get their eyes off of what they were doing, chasing Luke Skywalker? You remember the scenes when they would run into the trees? <laughs> okay, that's what happens when you can't see the forest for the trees. When you become focused and fixated on the trees, you're bound to crash. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called, and you are called not just to come into the fold and then sit there and marinate and spoil, but we are called to come in and to be equipped. That's the job of, of a pastor. That's the calling of a pastor is to not to tell you how to live your lives, not to tell you every single thing that you need to do. God forbid you take your advice on how to live your life from a sprinkler fitter, okay? But our job is to point you to the scriptures that have been given to us that have passed down for thousands of years in a supernatural manner given to us by God and written by his holy saints as they were inspired by his spirit, this book, this collection of 66 books, is God's gift to you and how you can have a relationship with him and how you ought to conduct your life in every way. 
And so our job as pastors is to the best of our ability and with God's help to deliver to you the scriptures, line upon line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, but ultimately, ultimately, I don't ever want you to do anything because Frank said, or our pastor said this or that, but rather what we want to see is we want to see the Holy Spirit intercede with your spirit And as you sit here and as we go through the scriptures together, that God would begin to have a conversation with you. I was talking to a brother in between services about the fact you are created in the image and likeness of God. And just the way God is a triune being, he's a father, he's a son, he's the Holy Spirit, three and yet one. How does that work? Who knows, right? We're never going to know until we see him face to face. And even then, who knows, right? But we are created in his image and in his likeness. And so you are also a three-part being. You have a body, you have a mind that's also referred to as the soul, and then you have a spirit. Your body is this biomechanical suit that you walk around in, okay? And that's all it is. It's a biomechanical suit. And like any kind of suit and a mechanical thing, it wears out over time. Can I get an amen from the old people in the house? All right? It wears out over time. This tent, the Bible says, though the outward man is perishing... And if you, every day you get up in the morning and I look in and say, I'm a little deader today than I was last week, right? I can see it. I look and I see the old pictures of Frank when I was 18. It's like, that's really me. I mean, that's really me. I don't know who this guy is, right? But the biomechanical suit, your body, you're aware of your body. You feed your body. Some of us feed our bodies too much, right? But we feed our body. We wash our body. Hopefully we put deodorant on our body. Why? Because you stink, right? We take care of our body. We, put, we try to put halfway decent clothing on our body so we can put forward some sort of a good appearance, right? Whether it's professionally or so that people will think we're cool or whatever the case may be. There's your body. Then you have your mind or your soul. That's who you are. That's what makes you, you, okay? I like Ford trucks. I like diet, not Pepsi. I like Pepsi. I like chicken wings a lot. I like ultimate fighting. God forgive me, okay? I like guns. I like like the New York Giants, okay? If you don't, if you're a Cowboys fan, may God have mercy on your soul, all right? That's me. That's Frank Thomas, amongst so other things that make me who I am. That's my soul, okay? Then we have a spirit, We have a spirit. Now, herein lies the problem, friends, because you are born, when the Bible talks about the fact that we're born with a sinful nature, you are born dead. In a sense, we are all of us stillborn. We are born, our body is alive, and our soul is 100% alive, but our spirit is dead. And here's the problem with that. It is your spirit that allows communication between you and Almighty God. You want to talk, people say, well, I talked to God last night. Well, you're an insane person, okay? What do you mean you talked to God last night? Well, we say, no, no, there's no Charlton Heston moments that have ever happened in my life. You know what I'm saying? Where the Lord has appeared to me in some sort of a burning, you know, pizza slice and said, you know, take off thy sandals from off. That's never happened to me. God speaks to me through my spirit, and he wants to speak to you through your spirit. That's your conscience. 
You know, when people talk about, you know, you got the, the bad angel on this shoulder and the good angel on this shoulder, right? Your better angels, people talk about, that's that side of you that's telling you, you should do this, you should do that, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. And then you got get the guy on this side who's just always going, <laughs> that guy, that's your soul, that's your soul. The Bible says, I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. We have this thing in our culture where we give some sort of natural goodness or divinity to the soul. What a, what a God bless your soul. Oh, your, what a sweet soul, 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 soul. In your soul, no good thing dwells. The Bible says that if you've broken the law of God in one part, you've broken the entire law, and that is called sin, and sin is what separates us from God. Now, you may have some parts of your soul that are indeed good. That's when people say, they are a good person. He is a good person. She is a good person. And you may have those attributes within your soul of what makes you you, but you do good things because it makes you feel good. You do good things because it makes you happy or gives you some sense of fulfillment. Make no mistake about it, you do those good things for the same reason you eat too much or the same reason you drink too much wine or the same reason you go out and do things you know the Bible has commanded you not to do. It's the same reasoning because you want to. Let no man say when they are tempted that the Lord is tempting me. Because God does not tempt, nor is he tempted. But each one is led away, the scripture says, by their own lusts and their own desires. That's your soul, friend. That's your soul. And when that desire is full, full, fully impregnated and gives birth, it gives birth to sin. And then when sin is fully grown and cultivated, it gives birth to what? Death. Now, this is the natural progression of the soul. The natural progression of your soul is to incline you to do the things that you want to do the way you want to do them and make no mistake in your life. It may, may lead you to some good things. It may lead you to some wonderful things, but it will also and invariably lead you to sin. And make no mistake about it, when sin is full grown and, and gives birth in your life, it's going to give birth to death. Now, not necessarily you're going to die physically from something, but it will bring about death in your life, death of relationships, death of the blessings, all the blessings that God wants you to have in your life and to participate in. And your soul is big and it's loud and it's hungry. The eye is never satisfied, nor the stomach full. When the scripture says that, there's this gaping hole. There's this bottomless pit. There's this abyss. Going back to Return of the Jedi, remember the pit, the pit. What was the pit called? Who said that? We have geniuses in this house. The pit with the, with the mouth and the spines and all that stuff. And Boba Fett got knocked into it. Remember? That's your soul. That's your soul. Well, this is a pleasant message, Pastor. Thank you. I appreciate it. What'd you learn today at church? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sucking hole monster is what I am, right? No, no. Your soul, that when we talk about your flesh, the sinful nature, it is what it is, man. It is what it is. And you can make all sorts of agreements with yourself, and you can lie to yourself, and you can go on fake book, and you can pretend that your life is this perfect bed of roses. But deep down inside... The monster is always hungry. The monster is always hungry. And it wants, it wants to capture you. 
and it wants to imprison you. In his belly you will find a new, <laughs> what is it, a new sense of suffering as you're slowly digested over a thousand years, remember? That's what your soul wants to do to you. That's what your flesh wants to do to you. Remember the Venus flytrap analogy that we talk about? You got this, this, this crazy-looking flower with the big teeth, but into the fly, that nectar inside is the most delicious, sweetest, most wonderful thing you could ever imagine in all of your life. And so the fly buzzes around, and it sees the big spiny teeth. It's got a thousand eyes. You can't see. I mean, you can see my food. You can, you know, but it's a... And it, but it, the nectar, oh, and it's, it sees the teeth, it sees, but the mouth's open. I think I can get in and get out. I think I could get in and get out. You see, I get in, get a taste, and out. I'm out. I'm good. I'm going to head out, <laughs> right? But what happens to the fly? You know this. It goes in. It begins to eat. Oh, my God. It's like this Thanksgiving. This is when we to me at the table. I'm going to be like, oh, this is so good. Can I have another biscuit? You've had 12. One more, you know? And it begins to gorge. I'm going to get a taste and get out. It begins to gorge and it begins to feast because it satisfies that little disgusting insect's body in every way imaginable. And while it's sitting in there and while it's feasting on this delightful, delicious, delectable nectar, the jaws of the Venus flytrap are closing until it finally closes and the teeth overlap and the little fly can never get out and it is, finds a new sensation of torment and it is slowly digested over however many long it takes. That is the world, that is sin, and that is what dwells in our own soul. That's why David says in his prayer in the Psalms when he cries out to God, search me, search me, O God, and you see if there's a wicked way in me that I can't see. You alone know the heart of men. And so there ought to be always in the life of the believer this laying bare of ourselves before God. Woe is me when the prophet sees the throne room of God. Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I can't stand before the presence of God because he is holy. And I am utterly a man of sin. And so there's this natural humility. You see, you show me a Christian who's a judgmental person. Old Frank Thomas, oh, not too long ago. Honey, remember? Remember that guy? She's like, I'd like to not, you know, please. I'm trying over here to forget him, you know. Oh, the judgment. I listen, look at you, look at you. You know what I mean? I just, I've had it with you guys. Look at you. You just don't do everything up to my standards, okay? How can you possibly even be saved? You know, all of these things. That is a person who has never been confronted with the glory of God and looked full into that wonderful face of his and seen for himself because he is a reflective force. And when you look full in his wonderful face, you know what he's going to show you? Part of what he's going to show you, many glorious things, but part of what he's going to show you, you. You, as you are. And see, I can compare myself to somebody maybe over here, somebody over here, and say, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. I'm a good guy. I try to do the right things, right? When a little old lady's crossing the street, I help her. I don't push her out in the traffic. That's a good start right? I've, I, don't, I don't intentionally kill little animals, you know what I'm saying? I wait until the little baby birds hatch and fly away, then I destroy their nests because I can't stand them in my barn and in my things, right? 
Uh, but I try to do the good things. I try to do all of these right things. It's never enough. It's never enough. There's always, 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 always going to be that desire. And, I, and I'm saying that because I just lost my train of thought. So let's get into the scriptures. The, the, here's, here's, the, here's the important thing. As we get into Deuteronomy chapter 9, as we get into Deuteronomy chapter 9, it is vitally important. It is vitally important. I remember what I was going to say. I can look at this person over here and that person over there. I, I'm only 46. Imagine when I'm 80, right? If I'm still preaching. Have, my goodness gracious. I'll just get up here and go, oh, you're dismissed. And then everyone will be like, that's awesome. That's the best church service I've ever been to. Um, I can look at this person over here. I can look at this person over there and I can say, I'm doing pretty good. I try to do the right things. But when I look into the face of Jesus Christ and I see him for all that he is and all of his goodness and all of his glory, suddenly I don't look so hot. Suddenly I don't look so hot. You ever have a really good looking friend? You know what I'm saying? Like, like a weirdly good-looking friend. Like good-looking so it makes you mad at him. You know what I'm saying? I don't like you with your pretty face. You know what I mean? And certain friends, I used to say, don't stand next to me, okay? I'm okay. It's all right until you stand next to me. Now I look like Shrek. You know what I mean? And, and so when we see Jesus Christ, when we see him as he fully is, and we understand him through our knowledge of the Scripture, suddenly God begins to reveal to our heart how we look and what's really going on in there. And understand this, my friends, understand this. It is never, it is never for the purpose of condemning you. What did Jesus Christ say to the woman caught in the very act of adultery? Where are your accusers? She said, there's none, Lord. And he said, neither do I accuse you. You see, what he was trying to do was rescue her, not condemn her, but Jesus is in the business and the operation of rescuing people. And that is what Jesus is always trying to do in your life. And he shows us who we really are for the purpose of rescuing you. You can't admit that you need rescuing until you realize you're in bad shape and you're drowning. You, you, you know what I'm saying? You can't be rescued until you know you need to be rescued. This is the purpose of the law. And this is the purpose of this relationship with God, is that he shows us who we are. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, let's turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 9, and we're going to start right from verse 1. First, God is going to tell the Israelites what he's going to do with them. And then he's going to make a very specific point of showing them that it has nothing to do with them or how great or deserving that they are. Deuteronomy chapter 9, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? In other words, on paper, this is a complete and total mismatch. On paper, you don't have a shot. On paper, it's suicide for you to cross over the Jordan River and fight these people. Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. And he will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. 
But do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, now remember the therefore. If you see a therefore, you got you to gotta figure out what it's there for, Right? Therefore, so what has God just said to the children of Israel? I'm going to do something miraculous. I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to do something outstanding. I'm going to do something that people said it can't be done. This could never happen in a million years that these people could be driven out. These people are giants. These people are warriors and no one could defeat them. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And here's what I want you to take out of this. I want you to take away from this that you would know that it is because of my will and it is because of my judgment and it is because of my promises and it is because of my word. It is not about you. It is not about you. It is not about your deserving of it. It is about my will, it is about my glory, it is about the promises that I've made, and at the same time, it's about me judging the inhabitants of the land, who for hundreds of years, as he said to Abraham, hundreds of years earlier, the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its fulfillment. God put a time stamp on it. It's going to get to this point in time. Their wickedness is going to become so exceedingly great that judgment is going to fall, and I'm going to use the children of Israel who I'm bringing out of Egypt to bring judgment upon these people because of the great wickedness that they live in. It is not because of your righteousness. So therefore, verse 6, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you <laughs> are a stiff-necked people. Remember, do not forget you know what I'm saying? You know what I want to forget? My failures. Isn't it amazing how hindsight's always 2020? Remember how good you were in high school? Remember how, remember how smoking you were? Remember what a great athlete you were? Remember how this, oh, remember that? Oh, remember that? Remember that? It wasn't that great, okay? You weren't that great. You weren't that good, right? When I came out of the field, when I, 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 I'm a sprinkler fitter, and, and, and I'm 20 years in the field, and when I came out of the field into the office, and I started doing uh, proposals and quotes and stuff like that, and this guy that was kind of training me, one of the things he said to me, he's like, remember this, Frankie. You know, this is how pipe fitters, remember this, Frankie. Remember this. You ain't as fast as you think you were. And what his point was, is when I'm putting a proposal together, I'm going to, in my mind, go, oh, yeah, oh my God, I would smash that job. I'd do that, I'd, that whole Walmart one week. I'd, do it, I'd run all that pipe in one week. And he was like, no, you wouldn't. You'd be taking breaks too long. You'd be eating snickerdoodles. You know what I mean? You would be, you'd be laying down on the job. You'd be leaving early on Friday. You know, you'd be dragging your feet. It's too cold. You know, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. And it was just, and it, for me, you know, as a believer, when he said that to me, I was like, whoa. You know, that's a word from the Lord. <laughs> you know what I mean? Remember, remember, this is what God is saying. Remember who you are. 
Don't ever lose sight of the fact that your soul is a monster <laughs> and it is always hungry. Remember, verse 7, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. Now, Moses now recounts the entire story of the giving of the Ten Commandments. If you've seen the movie with Charlton Heston, you've already know this stuff. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. You say, that's impossible. Absolutely. You can't go more than three days without water. Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he was in the presence of God. He was with the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights as he was receiving the law. And he was so supernaturally sustained by the presence of God that he neither ate nor drank for 40 days and for 40 nights is what the scripture teaches us. Uh, verse 10, then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here for your people, notice this, for your people whom you have brought up from Egypt have acted corruptly. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny? You know, whenever my kids do something wrong, suddenly they're my kids. You know what I'm saying? I get home from work and one of them's sitting in a corner when they're, and, they're, and their device is up on top of the fridge. You know what your child did today? Why is it my child? You know what I'm saying? Why can't it be my child when they get good grades? You know, it was my child when they do something wrong, which, you know, it's not entirely inappropriate. Um, but it's, it's, it, to me, it's just hilarious. What is God saying here? He's not trying to be funny. What he's saying, what he's saying is, your people, Moses, I don't want you to separate yourself from these people entirely. They're your people, Moses. They're your people. You have the same heart as they do. You have the same tendencies as they do, though Moses was obedient. Okay, um, verse 13, furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Now let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain and the mountain burned with fire and the tablets and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, 40 days and 40 nights. And there's some debate here amongst theologians and, uh, and, and uh, people much smarter than me as to whether this was another 40 days and 40 nights that Moses neither ate nor drank water in the presence of God after he came down from the mountain and broke the tablets, or if it's referring back to the original. It seems to me from the language 
as you read it in verse 18, common sense, it says, I fell down before the Lord as at the first, like just like the last time, and for 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. We're going to stop there. Now, this is what's interesting to me about this portion of Scripture, okay? And I want you to remember this. That entire generation, with the exception of Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, were dead. That entire generation who had made for themselves that molded golden calf and fallen down and worshiped, for it, worshiped it, even as Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, they were all dead. Moses is speaking to that next generation of Israelites but he's speaking to them as though they were a part of the exact same thing that their fathers had been involved with. Isn't that interesting? So what Moses is doing here is he's speaking to the nature of man. He's speaking real, in reality about what actually happened, but most of these people were not there. What's Moses saying? The same exact heart is in you. The same exact tendency is in you. And you want to remember the glories of the Lord, and you want to remember the deliverance of Egypt, and you want to remember the manna, and you want to remember the water out of the rock, and you want to remember the parting of the Red Sea, but something about your human nature makes it so that you don't want to remember your rebellion. You don't want to remember how quickly you are to turn from the Lord your God how quickly you begin to complain and grumble. You don't want to remember those things. And Moses is telling them, this is an important thing that you all need to remember. And I want to read a few scripture verses here, and then we're going to finish. Okay? Now, this is from the New Testament, and this is concerning our relationship with God, because we're not under the law, okay? This is before Jesus Christ, this is right before the children of Israel are entering into the promised land, and under that first covenant, this was the deal. Remember, we talked about the deal last week, or two weeks ago. We talked about the deal. If you obey the law and commandments that I have given you, then I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to prosper you in the land, and you're going to have peace, and you're going to have victory over your enemies, and your crops are not going to wilt, and you're not going to have any problems with having babies, and all these other things, all of these physical blessings. But if you turn away from me, and if you worship false gods, then my judgment is going to come upon you. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, and it's important that we always remember this, as believers in Jesus Christ, you are not under the law. You understand? You are not under the law. Nevertheless, the law still exists. The Bible teaches us that on the day of judgment, everyone stands before the throne of judgment. And there's two ways that a person can be judged. They can be judged by their own works, by the works that they have done, whether good or bad, or... They can be judged based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Those are the two directions you get judged in. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart, when you stand before the judgment seat of God, and the Bible says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand before him, either you're going to be judged according to the good works you've done and the bad works you've done, or 
whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the very purpose of his coming was to be an atoning sacrifice. His blood was shed that your sins would be covered over, would be covered over. Though you're just as guilty as everybody else, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been atoned for. The price has been paid. Judgment must be dealt out to sin. It has to be. God is a God of justice. He is a God of judgment, along with being a God of love and mercy. Sin always must be dealt with, and there always is going to be judgment on sin. I don't want to stand up based on my righteousness. And so I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. When I stand before the judgment seat of God, and he says, is his name found in the Lamb's book of life? You know what I mean? There might be one drop of sweat or two, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Oh, no, I know it's in there. I know it's in there. I'm like, don't worry, don't worry. I know it's in there. I'm sure it's in there. Is it in there? You know what I mean? Because I've called on the name of Jesus Christ, and anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. End of story. End of story. There's no good thing you can do. Your works, remember I talked about your soul, right? Your soul. The good things that you do, you do them for the same reason you do the bad things that you do according to your soul, because you want to. It makes you feel good. You don't get any credit for that stuff. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And the language there is speaking of the rags that they use to wrap the sores of the leprosy, people with leprosy. Okay? That's what my goodness is. Remember, comparing myself to Christ. My goodness compared to his goodness. It's not a pretty picture. When I stand before the judgment seat, I want to be judged according to Jesus Christ's righteousness. And because my name is found in the Lamb's book of life. Who goes to heaven? Who doesn't go to heaven? Now everybody goes to heaven. Have you noticed? Everybody goes to heaven. No matter what they were involved with, no matter what they were doing, no matter what their lifestyle was, no matter what was happening in their life, or how much in every way in, 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 the, in their, the way they lived life was a rejection of God's word and God's principles, everyone goes to heaven now. He's in a better place. She's in a better place. Wait a second. And don't just stand there, Christian, with your mouth closed all the time. Now, I'm not saying that you should speak where you ought not to speak. You understand? Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying to interject yourself into places you ain't welcome, okay? Sometimes it's not your job to speak. Sometimes it's job, your job to be. But don't ever be afraid if you're given opportunity to speak the truth because there are eternal consequences and there are people in this world today who are gonna go to hell believing that they're going to heaven, just because they're a good person based on their, their own moral judgment. Not understanding that no matter how wonderful I think you are, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've broken the law, man. Everyone has broken the law. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. And every single person who stands before the judgment seat, who has not given their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, this is not about me judging anybody. The Bible says Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. Why? The world was already condemned. We're already condemned by our own sin, by our own actions. But he came into the world that through him they might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. It is for you today. It is for you. But we must never, ever, ever forget or shy away from telling people there is always 
a coming judgment. Whether it's in our death and the books are closed or whether it's when the Lord comes back, whatever the case may be, there's going to be judgment. And our job, our job is to bring as many people as to heaven and with us as we can, to take every opportunity that we possibly can, to tell as many people as God gives us opportunity to tell about the love of Jesus Christ, about the love of Jesus Christ. But within that context, that was the same ministry that he had, obviously Jesus hadn't come yet, but the ministry that, that God had for the children of Israel is that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. They were to show people through their lives and through their, the way that they conducted their government and the way that they conducted their homes and everything else and the way that they practiced their faith, they were to be a light to the Gentiles to show this is what it looks like to have a relationship with Almighty God, the real Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. This is what it looks like. The proof is in the pudding. Forget about what I say. Forget about what I tell you is in the Torah, whatever, whatever that is. Look at our lives. Look at what God has done in our kingdom. Look what God has done in our homes. Look what God has done through, 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 the, through the temple and look what God has done through our king or whatever the case may be. Just look what God is doing because he's so great and he's so wonderful. And we're simply being obedient to his word. I had somebody say to me once, if my life was as sweet and good as yours, and I was like, okay. <laughs> it is? Okay, good, okay. I would, I'd believe that stuff too. I said, wait a minute. I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of money. I got one hoopty. You know what I mean? That's it. I got an old dirt bike. I mean, I got a few nice things. I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. I don't have, it's all there, man. It's all there and a couple bucks in the bank account and that's it. All right? So what are you talking about if I, you had it as good as me? Well, you mean my life, don't you? You mean my relationships, don't you? You mean my family, don't you? You mean the joy that you see in me, hopefully, most days. That's what you're talking about. Where do you think that came from? Do you think that's of me? That I worked that up? Hello, right? And the people that know me said, amen, right? Not you. It's not you. It's the Lord. I want to, in the best way that I can, live my life in a way that's obedient to the word of God. That's it. And I fail miserably every day. I fall short every single day of meeting the mark because the mark's Jesus, right? Remember the bracelets? What would Jesus do? You know what I mean? I used to look over, yeah, not what you would do. Okay. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Not that, you know, not this, not this. Every day. But I strive towards the goal set before me. That's what we all should be doing. Remember, though. Remember, though. This is what Moses is saying. But remember, this is, this is so important for us. But remember, 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 it's God. It's not us. It's not, there's no good thing in us. We weren't saved because God said, I got to have that one. I mean, just look at him. Just look at her. Wow. I mean, if we get this one saved, can you imagine, Gabriel? Woo! This one gets saved. You're, you're probably out of a job, kid. Absolutely not. The Bible says God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. That divine humility and that remembering, 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 remembering. There's an idea here that we always ought to be living our lives in a state in a state, not of guilt, not of condemnation, of repentance. Lord, here I am, right? It ain't a pretty picture necessarily today. And God, I confess to you all that's in my heart. I confess to you the lusts. 
I confess to you uh, the, the covetousness. I confess to you the idolatries. I confess to you the deceitfulness. I confess to you uh, this or that or whatever the case may be. You know me. You know who I am. You know everything about me. Forgive me. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood of the Lamb so that I can go from this place in your grace and appropriately shine the light of Jesus Christ to a whole world that doesn't need to be condemned or judged by me, but needs to be shown by me the love that you have for them. The love that you have for them. Mixed with the truth. Mixed with the truth. Man, everyone just wants the love today. The love, the grace, the love, the grace, the love, the grace. We don't get to the love and the grace until we first stumble over the fact that we are lawbreakers, that we are sinners, that we've fallen short of the glory of God, and because of that, we're separated from him. He cannot have communion with my soul because my spirit is dead. The Bible says his spirit quickens or makes alive our spirit in Christ Jesus. When we become a Christian, when we ask Jesus Christ into our heart, not figuratively, really ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of our heart, and by our heart, we don't mean that thumping organ, right? We mean who we are. Be my Lord and be my Savior, and I accept the gift of salvation that you won for me at the cross when your blood was shed for me. I receive that. I accept that. When that happens, the Holy Spirit enters into your life and makes your spirit alive, and suddenly something happens before that's never been able to happen before. God can now communicate with you. Suddenly, you can open the Word of God, and you can understand and you can know what it means, and God can speak to you through it. All of that is supernatural. The Bible says the natural man knows not the things of God. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. If your spirit's dead, so I'm closing. That's it. That's enough. But here's, here's, here's what I want to say to you guys. Anybody that's here, anybody that's here, and, and listen, there's no pressure, okay? We don't put pressure on people because we want people to make a decision for Christ. We don't ever want people to be pressured or feel pressured into becoming a Christian or asking Jesus Christ into their heart, into their life. If you would like to be born again, if you would like to be saved, if you would like to ask Jesus into your heart today and you haven't before, I'm gonna stand up here and I'm gonna ask anybody that normally comes up just to talk and chit-chat, to go about your business, <laughs> talk to somebody else today, and I'm just gonna chill up here. Don't worry, I'm okay by myself if nobody comes up. You know what I mean? I'm fine. But if you are feeling the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart this morning and you wanna ask Jesus Christ into your heart, then I invite you. Come on up, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and, and we thank you, Lord, and we glorify you and we praise you uh, for who you are, and for how good and wonderful you are, Lord. And we ask, Lord God, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us day by day. Uh, Lord, not only showing us uh, how good you are, Father, but showing us our own heart so we can live our lives appropriately in humility before you, Father. Um, I pray and ask for every single person here, Lord, for those that know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him, I pray, Father, that you would continue to grow them and that you would not allow them to be comfortable, Father, in any areas of disobedience in their lives. Uh, but that you would continually bringing them on towards a completion and that you would continually be working on them. And for my brothers and sisters who are here today, Father, who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that you'd lead them to the cross of salvation and that you'd bring them to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you.